Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. It's Friday, April 14th, 2023, and you are listening to episode 65. The George Ratkavies played six seasons in the NBA with the likes of the Milwaukee Hawks, Syracuse Nationals, and Baltimore Bullets, all of which... Probably a good chunk of you have never heard of before of the Walder Sportscast. I am Chris Walder, your host, and I am on the Twitter sphere and Instagram at Walder Sports. Give me a follow there and subscribe to the podcast while you're here. Leave a rating and review if you so desire. Really does help me out a ton. So this podcast is being recorded on Thursday, April 13th, and we are just coming off the Toronto Raptors losing to the Chicago Bulls and their play-in opportunity 109-105 to at Scotiabank Arena. The Raptors blew a huge lead, <laughs> missed a ton of free throws, a player's daughter was making headlines, it was really crazy stuff, and honestly, a perfect way to end what, in my opinion, is the most disappointing season in franchise history, although some may disagree, I've already gotten a ton of flack on Twitter for saying that, but to talk about that loss, the season that was, and the future plans of the Raptors is my good pal Mike Roach, who's the co-host of the Hustle Play podcast over at Yahoo Sports Canada. You've probably seen clips of it or heard the show itself circulating online. He does it with Toronto Raptors center Chris Boucher, of course, and he also hosts his own podcast called the Mike Roach Podcast, which you should be all checking out on the regular. I'm happy I don't have to dwell on this season by myself today. It could have gotten really depressing. But hell, it may still get that way with Mike. There's still a lot to recap, a lot to preview as well with the summer ahead. And we'll even talk about the rest of the NBA playoffs uh, postseason with no Raptors, as unfortunate as it is. But before Mike joins me, if you haven't already, be sure to check out my last episode with William Liu of the Raptors show over at Sportsnet 590 The Fan here in Toronto. If you don't want more Raptors talk, and uh, I mean, why wouldn't you since you listen to this show? Be sure to give that show a listen just to hear my hat size alone. May astonish you, Will and I are cut from the same cloth when it comes to having big heads, which results in many problems purchasing hats, and we talked about that on the podcast, but I love Will, always fun having him on. The best Raptors podcaster on the planet, Will is. Follow him on Twitter at William underscore Lou, and check out the Raptors show Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. on Sportsnet 590. With all of that being said, though, Mike Roach will be joining me after this short break to talk some Raptors basketball, so keep it locked. Perfect. is Mike Roach, the creator and co-host of the Hustle Play podcast alongside Toronto Raptors center Chris Boucher and the host of the Mike Roach podcast as well. Follow him on Twitter at MikeRoach23. Mike, my friend, welcome back to the podcast. Your Twitter handle has undergone a makeover, it looks like, because the last time we talked, I made fun of the fact that there were a pair of random underscores in there, but now you're on that Michael Jordan grind. You got the 23 in there, buddy. Hey, listen, I, I, to be honest, I changed that because I think it was kind of hard to, you know, Mike underscore Roach underscore kind of thing. And 
the 23 thing was just pretty random. It was just a name that hadn't been taken yet, so I took it. Well, there, was there already an at Mike Roach on Twitter? I assume that's already been spoken for if you couldn't use that. Already there. Then I looked at Mike Roach 1, Mike Roach 2, Mike Roach 3, up to Mike Roach 10, 23, but somehow 23 was available. Well, if you're going to go with any number, I mean, historically, as a basketball guy, you go with the one that Michael Jordan wore, the one that LeBron James wore. You could have done a lot worse. Hey, I'm not mad at it. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I even noticed that you have like the AI photo of yourself as your as your Twitter profile picture, the latest trend where I don't even know the name of the app, but you can create some really cool artwork of yourself if you upload some selfies or something along those lines. I don't have many selfies of my own, so I couldn't program it to make myself look cool, but it looks like it did a really good job for your Twitter profile picture, Mike. Yeah, you got to be careful, though. I had to delete that thing right away. I'm hearing oh, they're getting that? all kind of uh, information on you and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I had a few pictures, but then when I looked into the app a bit more deeply, uh, yeah, I was out of there. It's those apps that are always stealing your information. You know, people warn you on, on the Internet, like if you're using Google or, or do even downloading like a certain app, your private information that's just out there in the uh, on the Internet for anyone to basically steal, which I hope is not the case with you. Listen, I had to I bought a new phone. I bought a new phone and I only downloaded certain apps on this phone. Oh, what's your go-to app? What's the app you're on more so than anyone? Is it Twitter? No, it's probably Instagram just because I do so much podcasts and I release a lot of videos. Like Twitter, I don't, I'm on there, but I usually retweet a lot. I don't put out that many tweets. Um, but because I do so many podcasts and I do a lot of clips, I release them primarily on Instagram. Well, that's a perfect segue uh, for my first question here because I wanted to know about the status of your cell phone currently because you even alluded to it <laughs> before we got uh, started recording here that your Twitter notifications are going haywire right now by the sounds of it because during last night's loss by the Toronto Raptors to the Chicago Bulls uh, in the play-in tournament which eliminated Toronto, you tweeted, and I quote, Bobby Webster walking into the locker room. Patrick Beverly runs right by him. I knew they were fucking trash, unquote. So alluding to the fact that Pat Patrick Beverly was essentially trash-talking the Raptors. And I was looking at the replies to that tweet as well, Mike. The, it's kind of like a 50-50 split. It's people saying, well, Patrick is right about his comments about the Raptors. Or, you know, Raptors fans defending themselves, saying Beverly didn't really do anything of value last night in that play-in game. Where are you on the, the spectrum uh, right now, Mike? Like, what were your initial thoughts when you heard Patrick say that? And what has the response been to that tweet online? First of all, I, one thing I have to realize as being in the arena and doing podcasts with players and former players and being around executives and being in the arena, all that kind of stuff. You have to realize that a lot of people in my position don't look at the game the same as a normal fan does, right? Um, so to me, when I put this tweet out, which I regret by the way, but because it's already blown up so big, there's nothing I could do about it at this point. But there's been so many articles that have come out about this thing that have completely just ran away with this thing and have made it into something that it was not supposed to be, which is my fault. Because you should ultimately know the Internet is the Internet, right? So when I put out a tweet like this, and I mentioned I don't tweet much, I'm probably thinking, all right, this is a, in my mindset, I'm saying this is a, a fun tweet to put out. Um, 
Pat Bev being Pat Bev, you know, no big deal. It's not going to be anything new here. I wake up this morning. My phone is just going absolutely haywire with Twitter notifications. I'm saying, what the, what is going on here? And I'm looking, retweets, likes, this account's putting it out, this account's putting it out, this account's putting it out, then article, 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 article coming out, making it seem like I said that Patrick Beverly pretty much ran up to Bobby Webster and kind of did that, which I never tweeted clearly, as you just read it. I do have to be accountable for that because honestly, I should know better at this point, but there are this is just, it's just gone completely haywire to the point where I actually have to address it. You know what I mean? So right. things are the way that people, and I wouldn't even say it's really people. I would say it's more like news outlets looking for, for stories, right? And so now I got to apologize to Bobby. I know Bobby. It's not even like. Bobby's just a guy that I've never seen or interacted with. I know Bobby. Uh, I don't know Patrick Beverly, but <clears throat> I would apologize to him because, yeah, he said what he said, but it wasn't malicious in any way. Like, he never ran up to anybody. He was just running down the hallway, yelled it out. But at the time when he said it, he ran off the court. So he's still heated. He's still emotional because he's just running off the court from the game. And he... Trash talk happens all the time. It happens before the game. It happens during the game. Uh, it happens after the game. It's not like this is something new. Uh, so to just take that tweet and completely turn it into something else, should I say I'm surprised? No, but I should have knew better than that. Does that bother you more about the state of Twitter, though, because you see a lot of these smaller outlets out there not necessarily doing their due diligence. They're just taking the tweet at face value, not looking for further context. And again, when I, I told you this before we started recording, is that when I read that tweet, I interpreted it as Patrick Beverly was running into the locker room. He was just in a state of euphoria. The Bulls had just beaten the Toronto Raptors. I didn't take it as he ran up to Bobby Webster and was trash-talking him to his face. I just took it as Patrick Beverly being Patrick Beverly. But as you're saying, a lot of news outlets out there took it as, well, Patrick Beverly literally sought out the general manager of the Toronto Raptors to rub the loss in his face. Right. Right, and, th and that's what I have an issue with because that was not the case at all. And another part of it is I don't want people thinking that that's what he did mm -hmm. because he didn't. Like he just flat out didn't do that. Anybody, I wasn't the only one there. There's people all over the place and it's not like he said it quietly. He yelled the damn thing. People heard it, you know what I mean? But that's not the point. The point is he didn't taunt. He didn't do it maliciously. To go chase down anybody and say it. he's just coming out of the heat of the battle still emotional because of the game and how they won coming back from that huge lead and that's what do you happened. think part of the reason why many perhaps misinterpreted it was because of the fact that it is patrick beverly a notorious villain in the National Basketball Association, someone who's known for his trash talk. I mean, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for Beverly to do something like this, but at the same time, based on your interaction and hearing him say it in the moment, obviously that's not what happened at all. No, I mean, you're 100% right. I mean, the fact that it is 
Patrick Beverly, I think, is a is a part of it. But I mean, Patrick Beverly has done things before in regards to taunting and doing stuff. But to 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 this degree, like a, a really like a GM, he's just gonna run up to. They're making it seem like they're running up to the dude's face doing this. This is this is crazy. But I I clearly have to be the one who's accountable. I put the tweet out, so. I have to do my due diligence now. I got to send out those apologies, which I I deserve to do that, by the way. I mean, this is an egregious mistake on on my end. Uh, But at the end of the day, I have to be accountable. And so I have to, I wouldn't say try to make amends because damage already is has already been done. It's out there. Uh, A lot of these articles are just flagrantly false. But at the end of the day, I got to take it on the chin and just apologize. That's certainly noble of you. I personally don't think that's something that you would have to do. But again, that's the type of person that you are. And again, a lot of people may have misinterpreted the tweet, but context is everything. And it's hard to determine when you're reading it on Twitter. But again, with your track record, and it's so difficult. I mean, in the past, I've tweeted out things that people may have misinterpreted as well. And I feel personally responsible. But at the same time, for someone like yourself, and you admitted this just now, is that you don't tweet very often. So for you to wake up in the morning and see your phone blowing up with people going left, right, and in the middle in terms of how this tweet unfolded and what Patrick may or may not have said, it's kind of unreal for someone in your position to have to deal with this in the first Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely uh, uncharted territory for me. And uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know, man. It's, it's a strange situation for me just because you have to remember, I've been, I've been on the court for close to a decade now, right? So I know a lot of people in Raptors PR. I know people in the front office, players, other media members. This is not a good look. This is not a good look, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much I, I at this point, I'm going to have to do my own podcast after this to address it fully. Uh, but I mean, this is it's not good. It's not good. I'll tell you that much. And, and don't get me wrong. And, and you just said this before. Nobody is telling me I have to yes. do this. Do you understand what I mean? Nobody is telling me I have to do this. But me, with the kind of reputation that I have, doing podcasting and working in media and all that kind of stuff, I've been doing this for close to a decade when it comes to podcasts. Been on the court longer as a broadcast assistant. But when it comes to podcasts and media and all that kind of stuff, I've been doing my thing for maybe about, I don't know, seven, eight years now. And I have a reputation that I have built by just being pretty subtle with my podcast and trying to give good information and good data when it comes to the Raptors and to the NBA. I'm not one of those guys who um, tries to get into mainstream media and headlines by clout chasing with ridiculous stuff like this. You understand where I'm coming from? Like, So that sits not well with me. Well, for anyone who out there who hasn't subscribed, you should all be checking out the Mike Roach podcast and obviously check out his latest episode, which will be coming out soon if you want further context to the Patrick Beverly situation. But you mentioned not a good look, and I feel like that perfectly summarizes the game that we witnessed last night. A pretty horrendous loss for the Toronto Raptors, falling 109-105 to 105 to the Bulls at Scotiabank Arena. You know, Toronto was up. 66 to 47 in the third quarter, Mike. They gave up 37 points in the fourth quarter, went 18 of 36 
from the free throw line, and we'll get into why that may have been the case later on in the podcast. And they even had a chance to tie it late after Pascal Siakam was hit on that three-point attempt, but Pascal, if I remember, I think he went one of three from the charity stripe, couldn't channel his inner Mike Conley at the moment. But Mike, before this game even Mm -hmm. tipped off, tipped off what were your hopes for how this game would play out and when it was finally over did it play out as you had envisioned or was it even worse considering all of the negative which transpired especially late in this basketball well it's a it's a disappointing end to a Raptors season where a lot of the the fans and not just the fans but I'm sure the players themselves in the front office uh had much higher aspirations for this season clearly um but you know 18 for 36 from the free throw line is is tough to swallow. Um, And and the game started out well, you know what I mean? Uh, But before this game even happened last night, like the last couple podcasts that I did, I was talking about, to me, honestly, like the Bulls and Raptors are a pretty similar team. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I I just didn't know which way this game was gonna go. To me, it was just a toss up, right? And that's kind of what it ended up being. Now, had the Raptors made a few more free throws, obviously this can go an entirely different way. But, I mean, man, I I think everybody was just completely shocked and surprised on how this thing turned out, especially when having that lead. You have a nine-point lead going into the fourth quarter, and things just unraveled. You you know when you can kind of see something slowly coming, but you just can't stop it? You know, it's like that's almost what it was like, which made it kind of hard to watch. You know what I mean? It was just, it's a sad way to see the season end. Well, focusing on the free throw numbers, and it's funny you mentioned the Bulls and the Raptors are eerily similar. It's almost like that Spider-Man meme where the two Spider-Mans are pointing at each other. It was essentially a coin flip, and that's how I saw it entering Bulls-Raptors, was that this could go either way. I wouldn't necessarily be disappointed regardless of the result, considering how tumultuous this season has been. But I think something that nobody saw coming entering this basketball game was that the biggest story when it was all over was DeMar DeRozan, the daughter of Bull star and former Raptor DeMar DeRozan, shrieking behind the basket every time Toronto attempted a free throw. And I only bring this up because so many major outlets were poking fun at this. I even saw that CNN did a story concerning the shrieking and how it affected Toronto, missing 18 free throws in a four-point loss. And it's weird because she's a nine-year-old girl getting a ton of flack on social media. And I found it incredibly annoying in the moment, Mike, because I had to mute my television every so often. It was getting a little bit out there for my liking. And something that Toronto failed to show for four quarters was consistency, but she, from start to finish, was making that noise pretty loudly, and it was annoying people across the board. What, what was your stance Hearing that during the broadcast or hearing it live at the arena, were you impartial at all? Do you think it factored into Toronto shooting at the free throw line? Or are we just overblowing this at this point? I think, I mean, it's it's definitely going to be overblown. But as we just mentioned, the media knows how to run with a story. Okay, because maybe she had a small effect. Uh, She was loud. I'm going to tell you that much uh, from being in that arena. She was loud. She has a hell of a voice. I'll tell you that much. Uh, A strong voice, too. Lord have mercy. I've never heard anything like it. I've never seen anything like it in all my days being in an arena. I'll tell you that much. That was something different. Very different. 
yeah, like I'm I'm not even sure what to say or where to begin with that. Like this is just strange to say the least. I've just never seen this, Chris. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Words, Mike. I mean, this is like completely out of left field. This is like when Devin Booker was telling the raptor, the mascot, to get lost. If only Devin Booker was a raptor in this very moment, maybe he could have had some pull, had her sit maybe in the three hundred level. Well, listen, I remember that game as well. I was sitting right there, um, almost at center court. Uh, That nobody was in the arena at that time. Um, that's still during uh, the COVID protocol when the whole Raptor thing happened with right. Devin Booker. That was hilarious, by the way. That was fantastic. But this whole uh, DeMar DeRozan's daughter was on a whole different level. I mean, this was some next level do, stuff. Do you think if she wasn't DeMar's daughter, do you think security or, or like Scotiabank Arena staff would have stepped in and done something? Because I feel like there's an actual chance that they might have, but considering who she's the daughter of, also a former Raptor, they probably erred on the side of caution. It also may have been a bad look at the time. Honestly, I hadn't really thought about it like that, but now that you say it, I'm sure that was probably a factor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, And the thing is, it's not like... People didn't know it was DeMar DeRozan's daughter. Like, everybody knew. Everybody knew. Um, so, no, I mean, I mean, you're right. I mean, but think about it. Like, technically, she's allowed to do that. Yes. Like, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing saying, or it's not against the rules for her to do that. Be- the people do it all the time. People are always yelling and waving stuff in the background she just happened to do it better than everybody else really i think a lot of people were surprised to hear that it was damar's daughter because i tweeted it out because i had just seen people on my timeline mentioning the fact that it was his daughter and then all of a sudden the audio especially because i was watching it uh live on tsn the audio of her shrieking because obviously in the arena herbie coon has a tendency to tell everyone to be quiet when the Raptors are at the free throw line. So you have this nine-year-old girl shrieking at the top of her lungs. If it's impacting me sitting on the couch watching the game live, I can only imagine how bad it was actually sitting courtside or in and around the court because it was kind of getting a little bit ridiculous. But again, it's a nine-year-old girl at a basketball game. What are you supposed to do? What are you going to do? I mean, you're absolutely right. It was loud and it was ridiculous and it was hilarious at the same time. But, like I mentioned, there's nothing against the rules saying she can't do it. What's the over-under on the amount of mascots next season which are going to hold up a giant cardboard cutout of her head and try and distract the Raptors (laughs) at the free throw line? I'm calling it at maybe four Uh, or five. That's pretty funny, and I'm I'm sure we're probably going to see it. (laughs) I, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up having a face of her in every arena at this point for that. Well, if it works, it works, my friend. Mike Roach of the Mike Roach Podcast joining me now on the Walder Sportscast. Mike, I feel like that game was a perfect bow on what's been truly one of the most frustrating and disappointing seasons in franchise history. And I saw this from Toronto Suns writer Ryan Wolstat last night. He even compared this season to the Tampa Bay season, saying, well, you know, at least from that year, the Raptors got Scotty Barnes out of it, which is a pretty good consolation prize. But this year... This Raptors team had zero second unit, was running its starters into the ground. It fell apart late in so many games. It's hard to keep count at this point. They were making so many bad decisions. And, and, you know, I'm going to group Nick Nurse into that as well. 
Mike, I ask you, from all of the years you've been watching the Toronto Raptors compete, where does this season in particular rank for you in terms of just being a downright chore to watch and cover? Uh, well, it's um, it was very disappointing this season. But I'm not going to take it to a level like it's the worst thing I've ever seen. Listen, nobody expected the Raptors to be going out this year and winning a championship. I don't think anybody thought they were going to be a, a second-round team or a conference finals team. At least I didn't. Um, so I'm not going to say that That I'm just... I am disappointed in the way the season ended and how everything turned out. But I'm, I'm not going to go crazy like some outlets and some people are in the media about um, Siakam and Van Vliet and Bobby Webster and Masai and why didn't they do this and why didn't they do that. But I will say this. If people have so much outrage about how this season turned out, you should have felt this way before the season started. Because the majority of the people weren't saying anything like this before the season started. Which means that you agreed, for the most part, with Masai and Bobby Webster with what they did with this team coming into the season. So if people weren't that outraged before the season with what Masai and Bobby brought into this season, I don't want to see them that outraged now. Were expectations too high, Mike? Because I feel like at the start of the year, you have this all-NBA type player with Pascal Siakam. You have an all-star point guard coming off his first all-star appearance at Fred Van Vliet. You got the rookie of the year in Scotty Barnes. This all-defensive intangibles player in OG Ananobi. And this sixth man, you know, up-and-rising shooting guard in Gary Trent Jr., Obviously, you're expecting some of the lesser-known guys like Boucher and Achua to take that next step. Personally, I thought the Raptors were going to kind of be a middle-of-the-tier Eastern Conference team. Maybe not, you know, vying for home court advantage, but they're at least in the conversation. So do you think that Raptors fans maybe set their expectations too high, and then when this result happened, losing in the first play-in matchup, it just came all crashing down, and that's when the emotions really let loose? Right, so listen to everything that you just said about the guys that are on this team, right? Can you understand now why Masai Jiri and Bobby Webster brought back this team? Oh, absolutely. Right, because, right, so now clearly it didn't work. Clearly it didn't work, so now you're going to make changes, right? But when you're the sixth seed last season, okay, and you lose what they lose to Philadelphia, 4-2 in the yep. first round. You want to see if they can take that next step. Because it's almost like the seasons were in reverse. The season that happened this year was what I would was expecting last year. And I would expect more of a first round exit in the playoffs to happen this year, if you understand what I mean. It's almost like I, I think the season should have been flipped. Mm -hmm. Because... People were pretty uncertain about last season. For the most part, a lot of us did not expect the Raptors to end up in sixth place last season. I could have seen that more for this season, just like you were mentioning. And I could have seen us losing in the, in the play in last season. But it kind of happened the other way around. So if people weren't making all this noise about this roster construction and what this team is like before the season, I don't want to hear all of that during the season. Because if you weren't saying all of this stuff before the season, like I mentioned, you agreed for the most part with Bobby Webster and what Masai Ujiri did. 
It just clearly hasn't worked. So now that we see that it hasn't worked, now you make the changes if you're Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri. But I think they wanted to at least give these guys another year to see if they could possibly take that next step. Didn't happen the way that they possibly thought it could have. And now, ultimately, you're probably going to have to make some changes. If you were to share the blame, Mike, for how this season unfolded, a, a mediocre season, a 41-41 and 41 record, a loss in the first play-in matchup, imagine you have this, like, make-believe pie chart, Mike. You have to divvy up the pie between the players, the head coach, and the front office. How much of that pie is each party getting in, as far as their respective role, how this campaign played out? Like, who's getting the largest chunk? Who's getting the most blame for this season, Mike? Uh, That's a good question. I mean, ultimately, if I had to break it up, what do you think I should break it up as? Do you think I should break it up into players, front office? How many options do I have to break it up into? I would say it's a three-way split. Like, you're going the players, you're going the front office, you're going the head coach. Don't don't uh, cower it out on me now, Mike. Don't go 33-33-33. I want someone to stand above the rest here. No, I think the front office stands above the rest. So I would I would go, I would go, um, I would go 60-20-20. Okay. I would go 60 front office, 20 players, 20 um, Nick Nurse. Um, it's kind of hard for me to hold Nick Nurse accountable because, first of all, Nick Nurse coaches his ass off. That's number one. And I, I, I love everything about Nick Nurse, man. That dude, he's like a mad scientist when he's out there. That guy coaches his ass off. And I'm saying 60% to the front office because ultimately they're the ones who make the decisions with the players. But I can understand why they did what they did. I think they might have been, and I, and I literally just broke that down to you. They wanted to see if these guys can take that next step, which I completely understand and get, right? But I think there might have been a little disconnect with Nick Nurse and uh messiah and bobby just from the standpoint that i mean i i mean i can't confirm anything but clearly nick nurse is trying to win as many games as possible the front office clearly wants that as well now nick nurse plays his guys heavily right they play heavy minutes og siakam all your starters you're looking at um 38 minutes 39 minutes 40 minutes 41 minutes 37 minutes on a consistent basis for a lot of these guys, right? Mm -hmm. But if Nick Nurse is trying to win games, then what do you expect him to do? Like Chris Boucher mentioned this on a podcast. He says, if you're not playing defense up to par, Nick Nurse is not playing you. He's just flat out, he's just not gonna play you. Because you have to remember as well, Nick Nurse also has a reputation. Those wins and losses that pile up, pile up on his record. He has to take that anywhere that he goes. If he's looking for a job, all those losses that pile up, it doesn't just pile up on the on the Toronto Raptors. It piles up on his record too as a coach. Mm -hmm. And you have to leverage that when you're looking for a job as well. So if he's saying, okay, another part of it is he's, I think the front office may be asking him, and, and you can let me know what you think here as well. Sure. Do you think the front office wanted him to play guys on the bench more, aside from Chris Boucher and Precious Achua? I think ideally, 
in a perfect world, you would use as many minutes as possible to develop, especially Precious Achua, who I think the front office is very fond of. He was very hit or miss this season. He had a couple of stretches where he was playing some really solid basketball. But then his, his youth and his inexperience was starting to show because his role would fluctuate every so often. Sometimes he would be in the starting lineup. He'd be getting heavy minutes. Sometimes he would get DNPs across the board. Uh, but ideally, again, I, I kind of sympathize with Nick Nurse because the bench, and that falls on the front office, of course, the second unit wasn't built to the potential that it could be. I think a lot of the focus was on preserving that starting lineup. And if your starters are playing above and beyond what your bench players are giving you, of course you're going to see Pascal and Fred playing 38 to 40 minutes a night. The second unit couldn't be trusted, Mike. Exactly, right? So what do you expect Nick Nurse to do? Because... If they're telling, if they're asking him, and I don't know if this is to be true, it's just where my mindset is at. If they're asking him, why isn't he getting some more bench guys in the game to develop them, right? He might be asking the question, well, I thought you wanted me guys to win as many games as possible. And then if they say, well, I do want you to win as many games as possible. And then he goes, well, if you want me to win as many games as possible, then I got to ride these starters. 40 minutes if you want me to win. Sometimes it's just very hard to do both. Depending on your personnel, like it's just really tough to do both. Well, I, tr I truly think this is going to be one of the more interesting and eventful off seasons in Toronto Raptors history. And I'm going to start with Nick Nurse, Mike, because obviously he brought it upon himself when he was alluding to the fact a few weeks ago that he was going to explore his options this summer. Obviously been with the organization for close to 10 years, half as an assistant, half as a head coach. My immediate reaction last night watching the Raptors lose was that it was probably Nick Nurse's final game as the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. Do you see it that way, Mike? Have we seen the last of Nick Nurse on the sidelines? I think there's probably a good chance that we have, but I wouldn't ultimately rule him not being here next season if he is back i'd say next year would be his last but um i think there's probably a better chance you don't see him back um especially when you hear him make the comments that he's he's made already i'm just not sure he understands uh where the direction of the team is going i think that's the biggest thing to be quite honest i'm not sure he under understands that fully and I think that might be the biggest issue here. So, yeah, you've, you, I would say you've probably most likely have seen the the last game coached by Nick Nurse for the Raptors. We've also seen the rumors of Ime Odoka's name swirling around. Obviously a controversial figure considering how his tenure in Boston concluded, Mike. Is that someone the Raptors should be keeping an eye on? Ime Odoka obviously had a ton of success in his one year with the Boston Celtics. Is that a name you'd be interested in coaching the Toronto Raptors moving forward? Yeah, I, I would take a hard look at it. I would take a hard look at it. They're going to do their due diligence and they'll have, I'm sure, a few names and some options that will be uh, looked at for the job. But it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, it is controversial, like you mentioned, just because of how things ended uh, in Boston. But I mean, I would think that Messiah and Bobby would probably take a, a hard look at Emi Udoka. I think, and I've gotten a lot of grief from certain people on Twitter for that tweet saying that Nick Nurse is probably out as head coach of the Toronto Raptors. I think a lot of fans out there are very nostalgic. He is obviously the man who was a 
played a big part in that 2019 NBA championship. Not just any coach could step in and coach what was essentially a new roster from start to finish uh, with Kawhi Leonard at the helm and capture the NBA championship that year. But in my opinion, all good things must come to an end. I don't think it's a deterrent on Nick Nurse as a coach. I think a lot of times in professional sports, players may ultimately kind of tune out their head coach if he's been around for a while and the success is not what you're used to. Do you think there is the potential that maybe the players are perhaps looking for a new voice on the sidelines? Or do you think that's also an overblown statement? Um, hmm. I don't know, you know. I'm, I'm thinking maybe it could be time that maybe they want a new fresh voice. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen that indication from any one of their top guys or any of the players for that matter. Um, I just think the entire organization front office has to figure out the, di- the direction. I think that's the biggest part of the confusion with the Raptors and going into this um, this free agency period and this offseason. I'm not 100% sure these, these players know the direction either, not just Nick Nurse, but the players either. So I think that's just the biggest thing. Um, do they want to go out there and probably get rid of Nick Nurse? I don't necessarily think so. I don't necessarily think so. I think Nick Nurse, well, we're not going to say he's flawless. Nobody is. But to me, I don't think he's the biggest issue. I'll I'll put it that way. Well, there's uh, definitely a lot of uncertainty entering this summer. And a lot of that uncertainty, Mike, comes in the form of three players who are hitting free agency. Obviously, Jakob Pertl, Fred Van Vliet, and Gary Trent Jr. And on a past podcast that I recently recorded, one specifically I had with Blake Murphy of Sportsnet, he determined that it would actually be financially feasible to keep all three players. Now, whether or not the Raptors should actually do that is another question altogether. But if you were in the front office, Mike, who are you prioritizing keeping this summer? And would you actually make it your mission to keep all three? Because I feel as though running it back may not make a ton of sense. Yeah, I don't know if you want to run this back, to be completely honest with you. Um, there's a there's a bunch of guys on different ages here, different, we've used that word kind of timeline, but I just don't think you run this back again. Like to me, you got to go out there and at least test the market. You got to see what you can get for some of these guys, whether it's a sign and trade. I'm not saying to, to get rid of everyone. I just don't think it should be exactly the same team coming back. If I'm the front office, I'd make a move somewhere. So of those three players, Mike, who do you think is the biggest priority keeping? Because I think at the trade deadline, you're bringing on Jakob Pertl, and we've seen the improvements he's made both offensively and defensively to the Raptors, especially during the second half of the season. I don't think you pull the trigger on that trade if you have any sort of indication that Pertl is going to walk. Do you think that's a sure thing that he's going to be sticking around? I think Pertle will be sticking around. I think he's um, he's someone the Raptors want to keep and the front office want to keep. Pertle's a guy who just comes to work, brings his lunch pail, does his job, um, and does it well. You know what I mean? And he's not a guy you're going to have to be paying a gazillion dollars to keep. But I think for what you're going to pay him and what he provides, he's going to be worth the money. Now, when you look at a guy like a, you also mentioned who, Gary Trent Jr., uh, Fred Van Vliet, you mentioned as well. You're going to have to look at what you do, I think, with Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet. 
Uh, I really like Fred Van Vliet. I think he's a warrior. I think he plays hard. I think he shows up in big games. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I would like to see Fred back, but only if you make moves elsewhere. I wouldn't want to see Fred back with Gary Trent Jr., with OG, with Siak. Like, I just don't want to see that again. I don't mind if a few of these guys come back, especially a guy like Fred, because I love Fred, but you'd have to make moves elsewhere. I think it was a bad look for Gary last night, especially in a do-or-die game. It was basically a ghost for the second unit. One of seven from the floor, and he missed a very crucial three-pointer wide open in the corner in the fourth quarter. Obviously, that's going to leave a, a bad aftertaste, Mike. You're heading into this offseason. You know, if that's the last visual we have of Gary Trent Jr., maybe fans wouldn't be open to the idea of bringing him back unless it was at the absolute best price available. Yeah, it's tough, you know, because we know Gary Trent Jr. is a good player. Um, he's been battling some injuries here and there. But overall, we know he can shoot the ball. Didn't have a good um, showing during the play-in, obviously. Um, but he's a guy who he has improved. Like defensively, he's pretty good. We know he can shoot the ball. He has some flashes where he has some really good shooting games. The question is, is it going to be worth it for him to come back? Do you think he can get to that next level? I'm not sure at this point the front office is 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 sure that he can. Um, it's it's going to be different depending on what team he goes to. He will get... It's like he's still kind of a toss-up if you would want him as a starter or as a bench guy. You can almost kind of see him as both. You know what I mean? He He's not a guy that you would be opposed to starting, but he's a guy that you would kind of like coming off the bench as well because he can provide you some nice firepower. So, man, I don't know. I don't know. The, the front office has their work cut out for them. I feel like this has been such a negative podcast recapping the Toronto Raptors, and it's almost hard not to be considering where the team currently is. But, you know, fix this for me, Mike. Is there any positive takeaway you have from the 2022-2023 season? Because, again, a lot of negatives, a lot of moments that really made me shake my head. But what was the one positive you can take away from this year, Mike? Well, I'll tell you something right now. It doesn't have to be looked at really as a negative, to be honest with you. Okay. The one massive positive that I see is that Nick Nurse, sorry, not Nick Nurse, Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri, they have a lot of options. Like, it's it's not like they're going into the offseason and they can't do anything. They have a lot of options. Like, they still have a draft pick. They can still do sign-in trades. They can still make trades. Signing a big free agent, don't really see that happening, but... With the reputation that Messiah and Bobby have, they're smart dudes. Like, they'll figure this thing out. The biggest thing that I'm happy about is that you got to understand that they have options. That's the biggest thing that people need to understand. Hopefully this summer turns out okay for the Toronto Raptors. A lot of moves to be made, whether or not that includes the head coach or the starting point guard of the Toronto Raptors remains to be seen. It'll be I'm curious to see who will be on that starting roster next year. But again, it's unfortunate that the Raptors will not be a part of 
of the NBA playoffs, but we kind of have a clearer picture of who will be Mike. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through the first round matchups with you very quickly. I just want your quick initial thought, who's going to win the series and who is going and how many games it's going to take. And then we can get a little bit later on in terms of who's going to actually win the NBA championship. But first and foremost, Mike, I'm going to throw the first round for the Eastern Conference at you. We do not know at this very moment, who the eighth seed is going to be. But we do know the Milwaukee Bucks will be playing either the Miami Heat or the Chicago Bulls. I feel like this is a given at this point that Milwaukee's probably going to wallop whoever they end up playing in the first round. But who do you think they would rather play? Do you think they'd have an easier time with Chicago or Miami? I think they'd probably have an easier time with Chicago just because Miami's a bit more um, tough when it comes to the defensive end. So I think they'd have a tougher time with Miami for sure. I think they have an easier road going up against the Bulls in the first round. I got the Milwaukee Bucks in four, uh, regardless of who they play. I think it's going to be a clean sweep. Who do you got? I would, I would depends who they play against. If they play against Chicago, well, you know what? It really doesn't matter. Like either <laughs> one, I have, I have Milwaukee in five. Milwaukee in five, playing it safe, you know, the gentleman sweep. I like that. Uh, The gentleman, Mr. Mm -hmm. Mike Roach, uh, giving the eighth seed at least one game at this point. But a game, uh, a series that I think is actually going to go the distance here, uh, surprisingly, considering who's in it, is the New York Knicks and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I was actually hoping that the Toronto Raptors and Cleveland would match up in the first round because I think that would have been an exceptional first round series. Maybe not so much anymore considering what I just witnessed against Chicago. A lot of people, and I'm seeing it more so on ESPN, like the New York Knicks' odds to take out Cleveland. I think that would be a little bit of an upset. Who do you got in this series, Mike? I have Cleveland winning this series, but this is going to be a damn good series, Chris. I tell you right now, if there's one series you want to watch in that first round, it is the Knicks and Cleveland. Because I think they're pretty evenly matched. But Donovan Mitchell and Garland, I mean, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, I mean, those guys are studs. They can get some buckets. They can put up some big numbers. You got some towers on the inside. But then Jalen, I mean, Brunson is, he's like a little little bulldog himself. And then just Randall and Barrett. They it's gonna be interesting. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Cleveland in seven. I'm with you, Mike. I like Cleveland in seven as well. I have a lot of people on Twitter, especially Knicks fans, who pulled up a tweet from me over the offseason where I was judging the fact that they paid so much money to Jalen Brunson. But you know what? Turned out well for New York, obviously, and Dallas is probably wishing that they kept him aboard considering how their season ended. But I'm, I'm with you. I like Cleveland in seven. Uh, that, that'll be a fun matchup with Milwaukee in the second round. Uh, we have another matchup here. We got the number three-seeded Philadelphia 76ers, uh, Toronto Raptors fans' uh, second favorite team, I'm sure of it, against the Brooklyn Nets, the 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 Lovable underdogs obviously kept it in tow uh, after losing their star players like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Happy to see them in the playoffs. They got a nice young core. I don't think it's their time just yet, but I think they will give Philadelphia more of a fight uh, than they're probably expecting. I think Philly's going to take this in six. What do you see, Mike? Yeah, I see Philly taking this in. I'm going to say Philly takes it in five um, just because I'll, I'll give the gentleman sweep as well. Like, Philly's a pretty damn good team this season. And I give Brooklyn one game just because they're a strange team. Mm-hmm. 
They're a strange team now after they've made all these trades. But one thing is they play hard. They play hard. They're going to get out and run. They're going to defend. I get Philly. I'm giving it to Philly in five. We also got the Boston Celtics now matching up with the Atlanta Hawks. A little bit of an upset when they defeated Miami there on Miami's home floor, despite a, a great game from Kyle Lowry, who Heat fans were hating on for a majority of the season. I like Boston a lot this year. I think even though the dynamic may be behind the scenes with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum isn't up to snuff. You're hearing these rumors that Jalen Brown may want out, but I think Boston is right up there with Milwaukee, a coin flip, if you will, for being the cream of the crop in the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't like Atlanta matching up against Boston. I actually see this being a sweep for Boston. What do you think? I see it in a sweep as well. Um, Boston is just, they're just damn good. I mean, they got a lot of weapons and their bench is strong. Okay, so um, like you mentioned, I see this one in a sweep as well. Um, I think it'll be exciting at times, but overall, I mean, just Boston, there's no point overthinking this one. I just, I, like Boston, I just think it's just going to be too much. So at the end of it all, at least in the Eastern Conference, who do you see escaping from this smorgasbord of teams? Who's representing the East in this year's NBA Finals? I think it's going to be the Boston Celtics. Interesting. I think it's going to be the Boston Celtics. I think Boston has the bigs. I think they have the guards. I think they have the depth. I think they have the coaching. I think they now have the experience of what it's like to be on that stage in the finals. And they, now they have a taste, you know? They have a taste and they know what to expect. And I think that matters more than people think it does. I think Boston has everything it takes to win it all this season. And I would be surprised. I would be surprised to not see them in the finals. I'm going to be boring here. I'm going to I'm going to do a scratch. I'm going to say Milwaukee. I just don't envision any team in the East, even as strong as Boston is um, with their one-two punch. I really like uh, Milwaukee. Uh, perhaps winning it all. We'll get to that when we pick our actual NBA Finals prediction. But you have defensive studs at point guard, at center, obviously at the wing with Giannis and Tentacumpo. I don't think anybody's beating Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference. But again, I could be wrong. Maybe they, they lose in the first round. <laughs> Who's to say? Maybe I'm jinxing them at this point, Mike. But shifting quickly. Well, they, they ain't losing in no first Yeah, they're not losing. Really. Let's, let's be it real, yeah. They're... But I can see that as well. I, I mean, that's not like, it's not like that's crazy. I could see Milwaukee getting there too. Like to me, I think that the, the two teams that are going to be there in the end is going to be Boston versus Milwaukee for the conference final. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I think Boston is going to be able to get over the hump and get back to that final right. and win it. But to say that it'd be crazy if Milwaukee made it to the final, no, I could definitely see that as well. Shifting over to the Western Conference, Mike, we have a first-round matchup, the Denver Nuggets against either the Minnesota Timberwolves or the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, obviously, a lot of turmoil with Minnesota right now. McDaniels breaking his hand uh, out for the season, and then Rudy Gobert uh, obviously didn't impact them too much, uh, but obviously he was suspended for that last name, last game due to his altercation um, with Kyle Anderson. Uh, I think this is going to be a cakewalk once again for Denver. I don't see any upset here, whether it's Oklahoma City or Minnesota, although I really like uh, the roster that Oklahoma City is putting together, and they just have a, a treasure chest of draft picks, not in terms of who do you think would be a tougher opponent, but who do you think would be the more enjoyable matchup to watch as a basketball fan, Mike? Because I think that's Oklahoma City. 
I think Oklahoma City as well. I just love the play. I mean, Shai Gillis-Alexander is just an absolute beast, okay? Uh, Giddy as well, fun to watch, and Dort. They have one of the more fun young teams in the league to watch, and they have some damn good scouts as well because they have just a lot of nice young players. But I would prefer to watch um, Oklahoma City. I think that would be the more fun match, to, the more fun matchup to watch. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen between them and the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm kind of disappointed of all the things that have happened with the Minnesota Timberwolves right before the play-in. Mm-hmm. Um, McDaniels breaks his hand. Um, Gobert punches um, Kyle Anderson in the chest. Like, <laughs> just brutal. Just absolutely brutal, you know? But, uh, yeah, I see Denver um, easily winning in that in that first round. I have a hot take, though. I think Oklahoma City may steal two games uh, against Denver. I think a lot of people see Denver as pretty vulnerable, even though they're, they are the number one seed in the Western Conference, which is a, a much tougher conference, uh, personally, as I see it against the Eastern Conference. But I think Denver, uh, certainly the favorite in the first round. And now we get to the 4-5 matchup, uh, which I think is going to draw a lot of interest. We got the Phoenix Suns, obviously the new-look Phoenix Suns, with Kevin Durant alongside, obviously, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, Chris Paul. Against the Los Angeles Clippers, I think the only downside here is that we're probably not going to get Paul George in this matchup due to injury. It's going to be a lot of Kawhi Leonard a lot of the time, but they do have a deep roster. Could uh, push Phoenix to the limit. I think if Paul George was around, it would be an entirely different story, but I think with his absence, I'd be truly surprised to see Phoenix drop the ball here. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's just going to be, it's going to be tough going to be really really tough to win against uh the phoenix suns without paul george but i still think it'll be a good matchup i still think it'll be a good matchup because the clippers have a bit more depth and i like some of those pieces that they have coming off the bench uh but without paul george i mean devin booker kevin durant i mean are you kidding me are you kidding me those are some of the best shooters you have in basketball and those guys don't really take bad shots Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Those guys just don't jack up a bunch of shots and hope that they go in. Those guys take good, efficient shots. They don't just camp out at three-point range. Um, They're willing to to get inside, get to the basket. Good free throw shooters. They'll pull up and hit that mid-range jumper. And they'll live at that mid-range jump shot area, free throw line extended. They'll take more mid-range jump shots than three-point shots. And guess what? They make a large volume of them as well, right? Their percentage is high. So that is going to be really, really tough to stop because it's like you can't really stop those guys. You can just hope to contain them a little bit. So it should be a very interesting matchup, man. It's going to be a bit more depth in regards to the Clippers, but then it's going to be against a top-heavy team like Phoenix. Should be interesting. I got Phoenix in six. I would actually have picked the Clippers if Paul George was healthy, but since he's no longer in the equation, I think Phoenix, uh, it would be a little bit of an upset if they couldn't close out the Clippers. But uh, a series that a lot of people think is going to be an upset, at least based on the way they finished the season, is the number two Memphis Grizzlies and the number seven Los Angeles Lakers. I think there's, a, you know, it's high alert 
for this series, Mike. I think a lot of people, whether you're an analyst or not, just a fan watching from afar, I think a lot of people are taking the Lakers in this series. I'm going to be one of them, uh, surprisingly enough, because I've been very harsh on the Lakers throughout the course of the year. But again, their trade deadline, they got some shooters, they got some depth. Austin Reeves uh, becoming this shining light in Los Angeles. I'm actually going to take the Lakers to upset Memphis in the first round. I give, give me six games. How about you? I'm going to take the Grizz in six. All right. And and even though they may be without Steven Adams, too, who's who's also injured, uh, losing their depth in the front court. Yeah, you know, that part worries me a lot. Because Steven Adams is one of those guys who can affect the game without even putting the ball in the basket, right? And there aren't a lot of those guys. But just his presence, his rebounding, his toughness, him clogging up that paint. I'm a little worried for Memphis without Steven Adams, to be completely honest with you. But I think that Morant, Bain, Kennard off the bench, Jaron Jackson, Dylan Brooks, I think they have enough. I think they have enough, and I don't think that they fear the Lakers. I really don't think that they fear the Lakers at all. Um so I'm, I'm going to take the Grizz and six. How many viral moments does Dylan Brooks get in this series, whether it's what he wears pregame or his antics on the court? Is he going to be the story of this series, Mike? There's going to be a lot of viral moments with Dylan Brooks. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure you're going to see him roll up to the arena, probably just have shorts and shoes on. You're probably going to have no shirt on. I mean, some, uh, some games he's rolling up like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like, you don't know what Dylan Brooks is going to do. I like it, by the way. He makes it exciting. Yes. Right? Like, he's the reason this series is going to be very exciting. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really, really cool to see. I think it's good for the game. Um, I don't think there'll be as much trash talking as maybe we might think. I think these two teams are going to hold each other in high regard and actually have a lot of respect for each other. And uh, which is good to see because that's what I want to see. It's about the game, right? Not that, not just the antics. So I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing this, but I'm taking a Grizz and six. Uh, and last but not least, here another upset alert: uh, the number three Sacramento Kings against the number six Golden State Warriors. Perhaps the end of the dynasty as we know it for Golden State if they fall short here in the first round. Again, a lot of people citing the inexperience of Sacramento. Clearly had that long postseason drought. They now have home court advantage like the beam. A lot of fans rallying around this team. I think Sacramento is going to close out Golden State. I think it's going to be, we're going to see quite a few overtime games in this series. It's going to be one of the better offensive matchups in this postseason. I think Sacramento, with that home court advantage, beats the Warriors in seven games. How about you? I honestly have no damn idea which way this is going to go. I think the war, I would take the Warriors in, I would take the Warriors in seven and the only reason I'm going to take the Warriors in seven is because Andrew Wiggins is back in that lineup. And I still think that right. because he's been gone for so long, a lot of people forget that he's coming back. But man, I think this is going to be a really, really tough series for both teams. But I'll take the Warriors in seven. Another coin flip, if you will. Not a wrong answer. I'm, I'm with you. I think Golden State obviously very capable of not only beating the Kings, but maybe getting their way back to the NBA Finals. I, I, again, I think the West is relatively top-heavy. Uh, especially, I mean, the Phoenix Suns are the fourth seed, and, and there a lot of people are predicting they may even get to the NBA Finals. I know earlier you predicted Boston representing the East. 
Who do you like coming out of the West, Mike? Who do you like in the NBA Finals, and how does that season, how does that series unfold? Man, I have, I see, oh, oh man, for the West, honestly, like, it's so unpredictable. I, I don't even know what to tell you at this point. Um, I would say in the West, in the West, I have to, I'll, I'll just say Phoenix. I'll say Phoenix for now. Right. Um, I have no damn idea. I'm just going with Phoenix. A Phoenix, Boston would be nice to see, and then I would go with Boston in the end. Well, I picked Denver prior to the start of the season. I'm not going to jump off that bandwagon now. I think we are getting Denver Nuggets, Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA Finals. Uh, Adam Silver's wet dream, I'm sure of it, uh, with, with Giannis and uh, Nikola Jokic at the forefront. I'm going to say Milwaukee, because uh, I did say earlier in the podcast I don't think anyone is beating them in a seven-game series. I like the Bucks in six against Denver. A lot of late games uh, for our East Coast viewers, especially with Denver uh, and the time difference there. But Mike, again, it's going to be a fun playoffs. I thank you once again for coming on the Walder Sportscast here today, my friend. I appreciate it, my friend. And and I I love Denver too. Like they're a, they're a deep team as well. Mm-hmm. They're a very deep team as well. So I feel like a lot of people don't talk about them, maybe because they're not the quote unquote sexy team who's always very flashy. But I mean, damn it, you got to keep your eye on Denver. Those guys can ball over there, and they got a deep squad. Par- Sorry, just have to look that in. <laughs> well, parity has never been stronger in the NBA, my friend. I think the the playoffs could unfold in a, a litany of different ways. Uh, but before we sign off, though, uh, just remind listeners where they can find your work on the web. Uh, so you can find the Mike Roach podcast. You can find it on Apple. You can find it on Spotify. I'm on iHeart and Google as well. Uh, at Mike Roach 23 on Twitter, at Mike Roach 7 on Instagram, and you can find uh, Hustle Play with Chris Boucher. You can also find that on Apple and Spotify, but you're better off probably just going to YouTube and uh, checking it out there because you can get the visual as well. Mike, thank you so much for your time today, my friend. I really do appreciate it. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me, man. And that was my interview with Mike Roach. Again, follow him on Twitter at Mike Roach 23 especially if you love a ton of retweets, although that Patrick Beverly tweet did blow up. Last time I checked, it's been viewed over 230,000 times. I really hope Mike doesn't get a ton of flack for it. That tweet was clearly misinterpreted by a number of outlets. Mike is one of the good ones. He's a really hard worker and a good guy. I'm sure he'll be fine. But check out his podcast, The Mike Roach Podcast, if you do want even more takes concerning that tweet. This has been episode 65 of the Walder Sportscast. If you enjoyed today's show, leave a rating and review. Helps more and more people check out the program. Subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you download your podcasts. Thank you to everyone who follows the podcast on the regular and even my tweets. The Toronto Raptors season is over, but there's still more basketball takes to be made. But for now, that's another one in the books. So as always, I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.